Amen. You can be seated. Well, this morning, we've uh, changed things around a little bit this morning. It's not so I can get through that giant outline. I assure you, uh, we'll move fairly quickly with the outline this morning. But we are beginning a new series called Suit Up. And uh, I can't think of a better topic to discuss in this day and time than what is called the spiritual armor of God. And that's what this series is really going to be all about for the next six weeks, which we hope you'll enjoy uh, you will join us for that. If you look at the introduction as we get jump right in, someone has said the Christian life is not a playground. How many of you know that from personal experience? Not a playground. It is a battlefield. Uh, just like marriage, the Christian journey is a battlefield. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, <laughs> to be successful in this battle for our soul, there's two things we must do, and that's what we're going to be discussing over the next six weeks. We must analyze our enemy, and we must utilize our weaponry. To think about this battle that we're all in as believers in Christ, followers of Jesus, we need to understand there is a battle going on that rages. And many people that I have observed their life many times seem to aimlessly kind of walk through life, even uh, professing Christians, those who, who basically have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but many are not aware of what's really happening around them. And so we want to expose a lot of that even this morning. Today, we're going to analyze our enemy. Now, in military, when you think about the military, there's something called military analysis. And it involves collecting information concerning enemies, studying the collected information, and then formulating an analysis of the enemy in taking steps to ensure national security and or preparing for war. And so if you were to look at the military scene, even the physical military scene, you'll see that military analysis is very important. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning on the spiritual level of this battle that we're facing. So the question this morning we're looking at is this. What are we doing today to prepare us for the battle that's going on around us. If you have a Bible or a way to see God's Word, look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, there's going to be something different about what I'm presenting here this morning. Typically, we like to do expositional messages where we stay in the text and pull things out. We're going to do some of that. But this is really a giant Bible study this morning. And the reason for it is because I am going to have to go to different places in the Bible to give you the big picture of what we're dealing with. So let's jump right in. When studying and dealing with the enemy and his forces, many of us go to two different extremes. We either overemphasize the enemy, we make too much of him, where we blame everything on him. How many of you ever heard uh, the devil made me do it or those type things or whatever? He got the best of me. Sometimes we overemphasize him. We should never have a fixation on the enemy. That's not how we are to navigate our lives, to always be there with a fixation on him. The Bible says in Isaiah 26, God will keep those in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or focused on him. Not the enemy, but on him. 
looking to him. And then another way we uh, tend to uh, get to dangerous extremes is sometimes we underemphasize the enemy. In that, that time, we become open prey. I want you to think about what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve underestimated the enemy. What the enemy did in that case, I mean, if you know the story, is he basically took God's word and brought deceit to it. He caused, especially Eve, to doubt God's word. She no longer went from standing on God's word, focusing on what he desires, to second-guessing what those desires of God were, to the point that she doubted, and that led to her deceit, and that led to her uh, deception as far as it leading her to destruction. Now, however, Jesus... The thing we need to keep in mind with him is he didn't underestimate the enemy either. In Matthew chapter 4, we're going to talk more about this in a moment. What did he use to counter the attacks of the enemy? The very word of God. He stood on the word, whereas Adam and Eve doubted the word. And so Jesus stood firmly on the word of God. And that's part of what we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks. Therefore, we need to know about the enemy but not to the point we become obsessed about him. But we need to be aware of what's going on around us. So, look at your outline. The urgency for spiritual armor. And the first thing is to stand up to the enemy's strength. The enemy does have strength. We can't underestimate him. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, here's what we read. Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord... And in the power of his might. The word power there speaks of this force, this, this uh, unlinting force that's there for, of his might, which means his strength. We never tackle the enemy in our own strength. He is more powerful than we are in and of ourselves. We can't bring our flesh to the battle. It's got to be the battle and the power, the forces of what God brings with him. He we go in his strength. Number two, you got to stand up to the enemy's schemes. Look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, what does he say? The whole armor. You mean we can leave ourselves exposed? Yeah, if we're not putting on the whole armor, it seems to imply that. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. To stand against is really the whole idea, and this is just common sense of not falling. We're not falling. He didn't bring the attack to us in such a way that we fail. But what did we do? We stood firm. We stood firm. How many of you in your life, you've uh, kind of learned that, that uh, you just got to stand there. You just got to take it. You, you know what I'm saying? And when I say take it, I'm not talking about just kind of take and let him push all over you. But there's times where the best thing we can do is just stand on the word of God, knowing what God has done for us through the, through the, through the power of what Jesus Christ provides and just standing in that strength. And then he says, the wiles of the devil. That means destructured schemes of evil's attempt. And by the way, those many times are directed towards us. And then number three, the urgency for spiritual armor, to stand up to the enemy's soldiers. He has soldiers. Now, let me just say this about many people uh, when, when we discuss topics like this. 
Some people will say, you know, I really don't want to hear about all that because that stuff scares me. It scares me. Now, we have no reason to fear. Fear is not of the Lord. He's given us everything we need to stand firm, to overcome anything the enemy throws at us. But the thing we need to understand is we just can't ignore that he's, he's there. We can't just go through life ignoring that. We must understand what is he attempting to do? What, what, what's he pursuing in my life? How, how, if I'm to stand, what do I need to stand from? Not only stand for. And, and that's kind of the implications we have here. So look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's basically the idea. We don't, we don't fight against what's obviously seen in our lives, but against principalities. This is the idea that this implies hierarchy. That when you think about the enemy soldiers, there's a hierarchy that's here based on what we're reading in verse 12. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, those who conduct evil strategies, against spiritual hosts, that's literally spiritual armies of wickedness in the heavenly places. The word high places there literally means activities beyond this world that influence this world. I want you to think about that. There's something beyond this world that influences this world. How many of you kind of see it out there right now? You begin to look at what's happening in, in society, in the world itself, and, and it's almost like you almost see a structure of evil. It's almost like it's there. And if you look through eyes of light, where, where the light and the piercing word of God pierces your heart in such a way, certain things become obvious to you. You begin to see the evil. You begin to see the structure of evil. And so what Paul's trying to say here is, listen, there's something happening behind the scenes. And there's something you need to be made aware of. Now, I want to read this in Ephesians chapter 6 from a paraphrase of the Bible, the message. Listen to what it says. I, I like, sometimes I like what's, what it says. Sometimes I'm not sure, but this is one I like. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of best, the best material, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws at your way. There is no weekend war that, that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight. To the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. And to me, that is well said. To me, that is what we need to be aware of. So, now that we know all that, let's pull in our military analysis. The urgency to understand the enemy. Who are we up against? Who's the figurehead? Who's the one that we're uh, the, the high influencer of evil? And so here's where we pull this from. There, the names in the Bible, if you think about the names in the Bible, tell us much about the nature and the character of the person. Okay, that's what we find in Scripture. The enemy has 22 different names mentioned in Scripture. We're going to look at 12 of those names. Only some of them appear on your outline because I didn't have enough room. I'd have used the whole. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Okay. His names reveal his character. The most common name for him is the, is the word Satan. 
Satan. And it just means the adversary. The adversary. And it's his most common. It's used over 50 times in the Bible. Then there's devil. It, it means the slanderer. There's not a whole lot of difference between the adversary and the slanderer, but they are different. It's used more than 30 times in the scripture. And then there's one called Lucifer, and it literally means the shining one. Before his fall, and we'll talk more about this in a little bit, before his fall, Satan was known as Lucifer, okay? In Isaiah 14, 12, it says this, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. And we'll talk more about this in just a moment. And then there's Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Now, what's ironic about this is when the Pharisees started to see some of the things Jesus was doing and the authority that he had in the spiritual world, and you can read about these stories in Matthew, or this story in Matthew chapter 12, you're going to see that, that literally Jesus calls out some of the demons. And basically, they surrender to Jesus' will. The Pharisees were looking on, and they were those who didn't accept Jesus as God's son. And they were looking on, and they accused him of being the ruler of demons. Now, of course, he's not the ruler of demons with the evil intent, but he's a ruler of all. Would you agree with that? But in this sense, they were trying to ascribe wickedness to Jesus himself because of the authority he had over the demons that were there. So even Jesus was attempted to be called Beelzebub. Now, these are not on your outline, but here's some other phrases, here's some other uh, titles for him. The God of this age. Uh, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, whose mind the God of this age has blinded. He's called the dragon. In Revelation chapter 12, it says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fall against the dragon and his angels. That's a reference to the enemy. The deceiver. In Revelation chapter 20, the devil, the deceiver, was cast into the lake of fire. The destroyer. He's known as one who brings destruction. In Revelation chapter 9, and they had, king, uh, they had as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. In Greek, his name is Apollyon, which means destroyer. And then there's the tempter. We know him well with this. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter, the enemy, had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. Paul was very concerned with the church at Thessalonica, and he was afraid of the influences of the evil one to bring deception to that church. And then there's the accuser. How many of you know him well as the accuser? He's the one who comes and, and basically tries to wipe clean the world of grace and mercy that comes from God and be the accuser of, of, of before God. And so it says that in Revelation chapter 12. How about this? The angel of light in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Now, you know what that literally means? He tries to transform himself in the appearance of what could be determined as good. 
There's times where he's trying to bring what, what many people, not, not what God calls it, but what many people would say is good. And they accept it as good because of the, the deception that they live under. Boy, we're seeing that even today. A roaring lion. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, be self-controlled, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so we see these names, and there's more in Scripture. But this reveals his nature, his character. That's what we're up against. That's the character of what we're up against. Next, we see his being reveals his capabilities. First of all, his intellect. Now, I want you to think about this story. Sandwiched right between Jesus' baptism and the very beginning of his public ministry, we see a battle between Jesus, the ultimate of good, and Satan, the ultimate of evil. I don't want you to write this down if it's not on your outline. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 gives you this encounter. And, and, and the enemy, I want you to think about it. The, tech, the context of this story Jesus has just fasted 40 days and 40, 40 nights. And, and now he's there. It appears he's vulnerable, at least the man side of who he is. He's the God man, the man side. He's depleted. And guess who shows up at just that time? The enemy. This is my chance. Physically, he's depleted. He's still a man. Maybe I can overcome him here. And Jesus, everything that came out of his mouth was from God's word, from God himself. He defeated him in that way. But the thing we need to understand is how cunning the enemy was to not only pick the perfect opportunity, but the way he went about it. He literally offered to Jesus what would be what is already rightfully his. Think about the story. What he can do, he could perfectly, he was more than perfectly capable of doing what the enemy did because much of that was rightfully, going to be rightfully his. But it wasn't in the timeline of God. It wasn't the purposes of God for it to happen at that time. Matter of fact, you hear Jesus all through some of the gospels say, the time has not yet come. You remember? And some of that's the very thing that Satan tempted him with. It's just, it's, it's amazing some of the stuff you see there. But he's cunning. This is what we're up against. Number two, his emotions. In Revelation chapter 12, it tells us he has emotion. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you. What's he, got? What's he bringing? Having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Next. His being reveals his capability, which is seen in his will, his own will. He has a will. And here's what it means. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, here's how it relates to us. And a servant of the Lord, this is basically an approved servant of the church, must not quarrel, must be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. That they escape the snare or the trap or the temptation of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So here's what we got to pay attention to. Is it possible for the influences of evil and the influences of the enemy to become so powerful that we're literally 
I mean, he's talking to the church here. That he literally wins us over to his agenda and not God's agenda. Is that possible? Absolutely. And that's what we're reading here. And Paul is telling Timothy, beware of this. When it comes, you need to put people in place that will call this out. Because we're all capable of, think about this, of moving from the agenda of God to the agenda of the enemy. And that's what he's warning against. Now, you say, well, what's his ultimate will, the enemy? Jesus said it himself in John 10.10. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, think about that. Again, that's what we're up against. His temptations that are pitched towards you are intended to steal your joy, possibly steal your family, possibly steal your, the character that you've worked so hard in your life to have. He'll do everything in his power to bring you down, and he's not satisfied just to bring you down. He wants to bring you down, stomp on you, and destroy you. How many of you are glad you came this morning for this great message of <laughs> encouragement? we got to beware. We've got to be aware. Next, his beginnings reveal his, his, uh, he was created. So many people, they give, they give the enemy way too much credit. They think he's this all-powerful, blah, blah, blah. Now listen, we dare not go against him in our flesh. Uh, we'll lose. Let's just face it, okay? Our flesh is in tune with his agenda, okay? And it can be very painful if we follow it. But the thing that we need to understand is from the very beginning all this was put into play. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 through 9, if you want to see the beginnings of where the enemy has come from, we find it there. And here's, here's how it played out. He was in heaven, okay? He was right there in heaven. He had a position in heaven. He was a powerful angel. He was considered an archangel. He was, the Bible literally says he was perfect in beauty, full of wisdom, Boy, that says a lot about how far he fell. Full of, this is how the Bible describes it. And he led the worship in heaven. Y'all, we're always keeping our eye on Wesley Green here at the church. <laughs> we, I mean, we know how it can happen. It can happen so easily. But, but the thing is, we, we, we have heaven, we have his existence, and his number one purpose in heaven is to exalt God. And what he was supposed to deliver to God, what his purpose in life was for to do, was to bring, to exalt God, he wanted for himself. And that was the downfall. Let, let me say this. How, how, do you, how, do you flip, how do you put that into the context of where we're living? Have you made Jesus Lord of your life? If he's not Lord of your life, then you could follow the same pattern that he did. You came to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit of God came to live within you. The Holy Spirit brought gifts. He brought things uh, to you that would enable you to help build the kingdom of God, to set forth the agenda, of a, the agenda of God. But if he's not Lord of our lives, if he's not central to our lives, if he's not our motivation in which we live, then we've got a problem. And we stand to fall... 
just as Satan did. When pride puts itself on the throne. When self puts itself on the throne. You say, well, what was Satan's biggest problem? Pride. Read the account of the scripture I just gave you. I, 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 I. So what happened then? Cast down to earth. He was cast down to earth. The Bible clearly says this. Basically, the Bible says at that point, he became profane to heaven. That literally means he was useless to heaven at that moment. And he was cast to the earth. If you read it, you'll see it carefully. So therefore, when he was cast to the earth, he brought a third of the angels with him. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But guess what? How do we know he was here on earth? Well, first of all, the Bible tells he was here on earth. But second of all, he shows up where? In the Garden of Eden. He's right there. And he was present. And he was the one responsible with his influence and his deceit to bring down creation. The, he, the part of the fallen creation. Now, let me just say this. He brought havoc on creation. Okay, he was responsible. You say, well, what about Eve? Eve was responsible. Adam was responsible. But guess who did the influencing? It was he himself. And so God had this beautiful creation. It was great. I mean, even the Bible says he created this. God said it was good. He created this. It was good. He got to the end. He said, oh, it is very good. His central masterpiece. And what did the enemy desire to do? To defile it. And he did a great job, didn't he? And guess what? He's not through. He's continued his work. But here's the future of the enemy. He will be cast into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now, some of you are sitting there saying, I ain't never heard some of this stuff. It's in there. Trust me. But he'll be cast to the bottomless pit for a thousand years. He'll be loose once again on earth for a short time. I won't get into all that, but he'll deceive the nations once again, his last burst. And then, after that, at the judgment, he'll be cast in the lake of fire forever. Forever. He's doomed. Yeah, he's doomed. Next, we see his limitations reveals his condition. And the first thing we see here is he's not everywhere at once. He's not omnipresent. The Bible says in Job chapter 1, And the Lord said to Satan, Where are you coming from? So Satan answered and said, Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. He's not capable of being everywhere at once. So all of us sitting there saying, Well, the devil, the devil, the devil. I doubt most of us have ever dealt with him one-on-one. We're peons. You know that, right? <laughs> but his influence is far, far, far reaching. And he's got plenty of help to pull it off. To pull it off. Next, he's not all-knowing. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. If he did, we wouldn't be reading about the stories in the Bible the way we're reading them. He, he, he can't see very far in front. In Job chapter 1, Satan and God uh, come together. There's this challenge that's placed out there. And, and, and God's the one. By the way, when you hear about the story of Job, you know who brought up Job's name? God did. 
I think a lot of us, when we think the story of Job, poor Job, the enemy just wreaked havoc in his life. I mean, I mean he just singled him out. <laughs> God chose Job. And Job, he, he, he had some bumps in the story, but he came away glorifying God in ways we never could glorify God. And what's interesting about that is the Satan didn't know the outcome, what it would be. He was convinced he would bring enough destruction to his life that, that Job would curse God and die like his wife advised him to do. Sorry, wives. He's not all-powerful. He's not omnipotent. Here's what brings me the greatest joy. There's a lot of stuff in Scripture that I look at, and I'm sure we, I, those of us who have been Christians for a long time, how many of you agree? Sometimes we take a lot of our salvation for granted. We do. And then sometimes we read stories like this, and it's like, yeah! You, you know, don't you like those moments? And yeah, you know, this is one of those moments. Did you know at one point, war between Michael and his angels went up against Satan and his angels? Some of you are like, who's Michael? Michael is an archangel, and the best we can, we know he's an archangel. He's, he's a big-time angel. Okay, we'll just call him that. There seem to be three written in the Protestant Bible. Uh, there's three archangels. Lucifer was an archangel, Michael, and Gabriel. Okay? Michael is basically over the armies of heaven. Okay? He, he's pretty important. Well, guess what? His armies and Satan's armies went at it one time. Guess who won? Michael. Michael's capable of defeating the enemy. Didn't even take Jesus. <laughs> Michael did it. I love stories like this. And it says this about Satan. But they did not prevail. Literally, they were kicked out of heaven. Kicked out of heaven. Fourthly, and this is the most important part. He is accountable the enemy will be accountable. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking. He says, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire that was literally prepared for the devil and his angels. That's his doom. Next, the urgency to understand the enemy's cohorts. Now, many of you, and the reason I bring this example up is many of you know history uh, around Hitler uh, we know that Hitler uh, basically uh, had great influence. Uh, he, he did uh, some of the most troubling damage in the world's ever seen. Uh, but here's what's interesting. Uh, the Allies didn't just fight Hitler. They fought Hitler's influence. They fought Hitler's vision for the world. He had a vision for the world. He wanted to take over all of Europe. And then from there, he wanted to take the rest of the world. And by the way, I don't know if you've ever read the accounts, but a lot of people are very suspicious of Hitler that he, he was involved in some kind of satanic stuff. Big time employee of Satan himself. And, and what's interesting about this is the thing that we need to understand is kind of similar to the story. Hitler provided the context and the vision for the war just as the enemy does today in which we're fighting. What's, 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 what's his context? What's his vision? To steal, to kill, and destroy. To totally defeat God. Now, deep down, don't you think he really knows he doesn't stand a chance? But he's going to do everything in his power to keep us from exalting him, 
to keep him from praying. He's going to do everything in his power. So then who are we fighting? Who are we fighting? If he's just the, that guy, he has a vision, he has a context, who are we fighting? We're fighting his cronies, <laughs> his cohorts. And there's a, basically in Scripture, it just seems to imply there's a satanic hierarchy. How many of you are scared now? <laughs> we shouldn't be. But here's what it is. Look, principalities, a term used by the Greeks to refer to the highest ranks of the military. It's comparable to what we call the U.S. generals. Satan's highest rankings, demons. Then there's powers. Those demons seem to influence nations. Did you know that there are demons assigned to nations? There are. We see it in Scripture very clearly in Daniel chapter 10. And then there's those who, uh, the same ones who are, uh, who uh, basically who rule over the affairs of the nations. That's interesting. Then there's rulers of darkness. The demons in charge of keeping people in the dark. These could be called deceiver demons, blinding people to the gospel, keeping churches from concentrating on the main thing, taking everything about for the vision and agenda that God has and turning something into something completely different for the agenda of Satan himself. And then there are spiritual hosts. Those demons influence us personally. Through temptation, causing division. There's just so many ways. Those that really, that's, these are the guys we're fighting. But here's what's interesting. And that we're, turn, we're done here. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to come back to this but in just a moment. Go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 12. The question is this. Where did the demons come from? What were their beginnings? Because in Scripture we understand that one-third of the angels fell as a result of Satan persuading them and his influence fell and they became demons. Now here's, here's what blows my mind. You can almost see how Lucifer could fall. He was so close to the glory of God that he craved it, that he wanted it. I mean, he was leading people to exalt God. And, and it was just enough that would come through him to, to, that he would lead for him to desire. But then I think about these one-third of the angels, and that blows my mind. They've been around the throne of heaven who knows how long. Angels were created. You know that, right? All of them were created. And they've been around heaven all these years. They've seen the wonders of God. They've seen everything he's capable of doing. And somehow he's so powerful that he influences those who've been around the throne of God to go and peel off and go with him. And do we really think we stand a chance on our own? We don't. And that's what we're seeing. Revelation chapter 12. I want you to look at verse 3. Another sign appeared in heaven... Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. Now, some of you are like, yeah, break that verse down for me. It's just Satan at this point. I can teach you more, but we're not going there this morning. I don't have time. But that's, there's some powerful unpacking here. But it's talking about Satan himself. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. 
And here's what we were talking about earlier. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That's what we're fighting. That's what we're up against. I mean, think about that. Now, this is not on your outline. But again, this is kind of some freaky stuff in Scripture. Okay? How many of you know what I mean by, there's some freaky stuff in there. You know that, right? But here's one place you see some freaky stuff. Did you know there's actually three categories of demons? Some of you are hearing this for the first time. Really? You mean there's mama demons, papa demons? <laughs> Nothing like that. Listen to this. There are those who are free to roam now. That's who we're facing. That's who we're in conflict with. Then Revelation chapter 9 says there's another group that hadn't been unleashed yet. They're coming out during the tribulation period. Now, these guys give me the impression that the guys we're dealing with now are scared of them. <laughs> There's some powerful dudes. All right? Then there's a third group. Those who will never be free to roam. Ever. Think about that. Three categories. Some people say these guys that are never freed to roam the earth again were the ones who mated with human beings way back in Genesis. You remember the story? There's a lot of ideas of people putting that together. Again, that's some freaky stuff, isn't it? And we're sitting here and we're reading about all this and we're trying to get our minds around all this. Now, if you want more information about this, of course, the, the group that's coming out in tribulation periods in Revelation chapter 9, those who will never be free to roam is in Jude, the book of Jude. Now, let's look at their being. Their being is the same as angels. Angels have intellect, they have emotions, and they have a will. How do we know they had a will? Because Satan influenced their will to follow him. We know they have a will. Okay. So first of all, their intellect. They knew Jesus, who Jesus was. You remember, I love stories like this. You remember Jesus is out there, there's an unclean man here, and, uh, and basically the demons cried out, let us alone, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? Is today the day that's going to happen? That's the demons talking. And, and, and basically, they said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The angels, the demons said that. Number two, their emotions. Love this verse. James 2.19, you believe there's one God, you do well. For even the demons believe and they tremble. Wow. And then their will. As I said before, they chose to follow Satan. Next, their activities. They promote disunity. In James chapter 3, we see that. We, we see, it, it says basically this wisdom, I'm sorry, uh, let me start at the beginning. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts and do not boast and lie against the truth, this wisdom does not descend from, a, from above but is earthly and sensual and demonic. You, you see the influence here? He's talking about it brings disunity. 
For, for where envy and self-seeking is this, confusion and every evil things there are. They lie, deceive, and spread false doctrine. The Bible says that in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is basically saying, Timothy, you need to be careful. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. A, they, they create false doctrine. Next, they hinder spiritual growth. They hinder prayers. You want another crazy story in the Bible? Daniel chapter 10. There's a prayer that goes up. Gabriel is dispatched from heaven to bring the answer to the prayer. He's delayed. The Bible literally says Satan has kept him from getting there. Guess who came to his rescue? Michael once again defeats Satan, and Gabriel's able to get through to deliver the message that needed to be delivered. Again, Michael 2, Satan 0. Right? Here's another one. They can possess non-followers of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 describes Jesus' ministry to the people. He healed those who were demon-possessed. In, in Acts chapter 16, verse 16, Luke introduces us to a slave girl who was demon-possessed. But next, they can oppress followers of Jesus. Now, now, here's something I strongly believe in. I believe the Bible is very clear on this. When I come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior, the Bible says the Spirit of God comes and lives within me. There's no room for something that's, that, that, that's defiling to come into something that's holy. I'm not holy. God desires me to be holy. But the only potential I have is because the Spirit of God's there. Demon can't take up residence where holy already is. Okay? But can they oppress? Yes, they can oppress. They can oppress. The Bible says in Acts chapter 10, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. You say, well, what's, what's demonic oppression? It can be uh, uh, prey to insecurities. It can be addictions. It can be strongholds in people's lives. It can actually take on the form of mental illness in some people's lives, depression and all these different things. How about this? They blind the minds of the unsaved. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. How many of you have looked out across the expanse of our world, especially right here in our own society, and thought, where is all this coming from? You ever sat there and thought that? God, listen, Satan has blinded the minds of those who are unsaved. That literally means once they fall captive to that, Romans 1 tells us a little bit about it. Once they fall captive to that, they are deceived. And their deception grows and builds upon deception, upon deception, upon deception. And if you go back and you look at the hierarchy of the demonic influences that come from the enemy, you're going to see there's a whole structure of evil. There's a whole structure of deception. And next week we're going to talk about how some of it began, not only back there in the Garden of Eden, some of it revisited itself in the 1800s that led to a lot of the deception our country's under right now. We're going to talk about that next week.
But I'm here to tell you, there's a lot at stake. Look at the application. Do you understand the urgency we as followers of Jesus must have to stand against the devil and his cohorts? The Bible says again in Ephesians chapter 6, Six, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Let me just say this. What's at stake for you, for your family, for those that God's placed in your life? I, I know people, and, and man, I tell you, it's so comforting. I know people who, who literally um, pray the armor of God and, and, and I know it's own individual. We have to take on that responsibility too. But there's others who support others in taking on that armor. I've, I've had men in our church that literally have told me that I want you to understand how I pray for you. I, I pray the armor of God on you. Y'all, if there's ever a time we need to do that for our children, it's now. It's now. And we're going to talk about what the armor is over the next five weeks. But, but here's what I want you to understand. We're not just fighting something that's out there in the dark. The Bible has exposed what we're fighting. We just got to know how to deal with it and what God has provided for us to do the fighting, to do the standing. It's so important. I can't think of a better time to preach this message in the world in which we live in this time right now. Because there's a lot of people out there aimlessly walking through life and they have no clue. And all of a sudden they wake up and they see this happening to their, their child. They see this influence in their child. They see that influence. And they're sitting there and they're scratching their head and they're saying, where did it go wrong? What happened? And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And we all know that child has their own independent will. But boy, we need to do everything we can for them to be settled in truth. We're going to talk about that next week. But not only that, that we weaponize them just for praying over them the armor of God. That they will stand against the schemes and the deception of the enemy. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've shown us here this morning. Father, I just pray, Lord, that we would be challenged by your word to be people who take this battle seriously. And Father, I just pray for those that are here this morning. Maybe there's someone here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. Maybe they've never come to terms with what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I pray today you'll spark something in their heart that the Holy Spirit would just move. Father, for those that are standing in this room and maybe, maybe they want someone to pray with them about this. Father, help them understand there's people up here at the front that will gladly pray with them about what we talked about here today. I, I pray, Lord, that you'll just speak to our hearts during this moment of time. In Jesus' name. We just stand to your feet. Our prayer partner is going to be here at the front. We're going to sing, worship the Lord. Maybe for some of you, you just need to come forward and say, I need someone to pray for me. Whatever that need is, I need someone to pray with you. They're here at the front. Just do what God's calling you to do in these moments.